Take your Bibles. Go to Second Peter. Second Peter, as you turn there, I'll just explain real quick. Uh, our plan is to work through Second Peter. It'll only take six or seven weeks after Second Peter. Uh, we're going to jump into the book of Genesis together. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'll be honest with you, I'm intimidated by it. Uh, so I would ask for you to pray for me this week as I spend most of my week planning and preparing that series, trying to figure out exactly how to, to um, preach it in such a way where it doesn't take us five years to get through it, because um, it really could without a problem. So, um, But that's coming up. So we're just going to do this here in Second Peter for the next few weeks. Uh, easy transition out of First Peter, right? So Second Peter, that's where we're going to be. So um, let me ask you this question. It's going to sound a little weird, but have you ever felt small? Have you ever, ever just in a moment, suddenly recognized how small you were? Um, have, you ever, have you ever been impressed with how unimpressive you are? Um, I've had a number of occasions to have that happen, <laughs> um, to say the least. But, but there's, a, there's a few that, that kind of stand out in mind where I have just felt tiny. Um, here's one that just happened a few years ago. Uh, we had taken our staff here at Uniontown down to a conference a couple of days outside of D.C. Um, had a great time at team building, but even better than that, there were some amazing speakers. There was one or two not so amazing speakers we still joke about right now. Um, and I won't do that right now, but um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a few amazing speakers. One of the speakers is a guy who I've listened to before that conference and since that conference who I, I just enjoy listening to him. His name is Leonce Crump. Leonce is a, a pastor down in the Atlanta area. I believe it's Atlanta. It's down south that way somewhere. And um, he, he is just, a, just an amazing uh, exegete of God's word. He is passionate um, and I just enjoy, I mean, okay, so it's, it's me nerding out, right? It's, I love listening to guys like that. So anyway, um, he gets up, he speaks, and it's, it's powerful. We're locked in. It's amazing. I think Dana was sitting next to me or in the same row, and I remember leaning over and saying something to her like, yeah, I told you, I told you this guy would be good. Because, um, again, there was a few that weren't so good. But anyway, um, he got done. And we were standing and we were singing a song as he was getting off the stage. And he, he was walking down the aisle. And again, because I am one of those guys who has to do this every week, I really do appreciate those guys who can preach with passion, wisdom, um, engaging, uh, and, 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 and just not just, you know, cash it in. Sometimes people that do this all the time just kind of cash it in and be like, yeah, okay, we'll just give them whatever we can give them. Well, this dude does not do that. And so he's walking, and I'm just like, and you, your soul is kind of knit together. And it's kind of like, you know, I, I, you feel like we're, we're buds, which is a little creepy, I'll admit. It's, it's called stalking in some states. But, you know, you feel, you feel connected. And, and here he comes down the aisle, and uh, I'm just like, man, I'm just enthralled. Um, not, not, you know, man-crushing or anything, but I'm just enthralled uh, at, at him. And I just look at him like, dude, that was great as he gets close to me. And he, he takes his hand, and he puts it on my shoulder, and he's like, man, I appreciate you, brother, and just kept walking by. And it was like, all right, so, you know, it wasn't like the Beatles. I wasn't like, ah! It wasn't like that, okay? Um, but uh, um, I was a little intimidated at that moment because what I didn't tell you uh, was Leon Scrump used to be an NFL player. He is a monstrosity. His hands are like double the size of mine. So when he placed his hand on my shoulder, it was like, oh, my stars. He's huge. Um, it would be kind of like uh, putting your hand on a toy. Now, um, this, this here is my favorite toy. It was a gift. Uh, I, I enjoy this toy very much. Um, but it, it kind of felt like this. And that's kind of how I felt. I felt tiny. Um, I'm going to put this here and see if I can't knock it off the table later. <laughs> I can, but let's see if I do. Um, that moment, I just felt tiny, insignificant. I was impressed with how unimpressive I was, right? Uh, for David, 
But David, he, he had a similar moment. He had a moment in Psalm 8 that we get to read about when he, he gets out alone in the darkness, um, probably during one of his, his, his bids as a shepherd, and he's looking into the, the huge sky, and he, and he can see the stars, right? And in that moment, he feels unimpressive. And you hear it come from him in verse 4 of that psalm where he says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you, that you look after him. When I consider your handiwork in the sky, he had been talking about the stars. When I, when I just look at the stars and I consider that, 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 that who I am in light of this massive creation... When I consider that you created all of this with your breath, that you sustain all of it with your word, and you know me. What in the world? Who, who, who am I? Who am I? I'm so tiny. I'm so small. I'm so unimpressive. Well, what I want you to know is that many people feel like that often. Many believers uh, chalk up that, I call it insecurity, uh, this feeling of great insignificance, and they're, they're doing it the wrong way. And so today I want to I remind you of Peter's words so that you'd understand that you should be um, cognizant and, and, and honest with the fact that you are kind of unimpressive, <laughs> right? God's awesome. You're not. God's awesome. Um, but at the same time, you, you need to remember what it is that God thinks of you. So let me tell you this. If, if, you, if you recognize the fact that God and God alone deserves all the glory, if you understand and admit that, that you're a sinner who regularly tries to steal that glory from God for yourself, if you, if you acknowledge that the, the just consequence to your sinful rebellion against God uh, is a full measure of God's wrath being poured out on you. And if you place your trust in Jesus and only Jesus to rescue you and to, to absorb God's wrath for you, and then in turn to impute his perfect innocence to you, well, that's salvation, friends. That's, that's salvation in and of itself. And, and there's no magic mantra to gain that salvation. It simply is those things. Recognizing that God deserves the glory. Understanding and admitting that you're a sinner who continues to try to steal his glory from him. Acknowledging that the consequence of your sinful rebellion is, 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 is uh, the full measure of God's wrath being poured out at you. And placing your trust in Jesus who came to rescue you and absorb God's full wrath for you. And in turn handed you his pure and innocence it's it's salvation isn't a mantra you pray this prayer salvation is saying jesus save me or i'm dead now if that's you and you have done that i got great news for you even in the middle of insignificant feelings even in the moment when you are most unimpressed with yourself i want you to remember the words of peter so look 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 at them with me if you don't mind second peter Chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness 
By these, he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to deal with most of verses 1 through 4 with the intent of picking up on the rest of them next week as we continue on through verse uh, 11 together. So, so in this moment of, 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 of being most unimpressed with yourself, remember the words of Peter. He begins by telling us this, your standing before God is the same as every other believer. That's verse 1. To those who have received a faith equal to ours, to the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have a, a faith that is equal. That is the word that's used for a naturalized citizen. Okay, You, 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 you receive the privileges and rights uh, of citizenship. Although you weren't born with them, you are naturalized into it. So now you are equal with a natural-born citizen. So our status with God is equal to... Think about this, those who heard his teaching, who sat at his feet, who, who saw his miracles, who watched him heal, who watched him cast out demons. Our standing with God is equal to Peter, the rest of the, the apostles, the disciples. We have the same status. We have that same relationship. What Peter's doing is he's given us a, a glimpse into the picture of what we talked about just a few weeks ago, Right? You remember the story in Matthew 20, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who goes out to hire uh, hourly workers to harvest his vineyard and the crops in the vineyard. And the story really turns on its head when the, the landowner pays the, the individuals who only worked an hour in the cool of the evening the same amount that he paid the person who worked 12 hours through the heat of the day. And those who worked 12 hours were livid. How dare you? And, and the landowner's comment was, how dare you? <laughs> how can you possibly be angry with me? Because I've chosen to be generous with what is mine to whoever I want. See, the, the same goes for us. We are deserving of nothing. But he's given us everything. And that's true about all of us. Yeah, but some people are better than other people. Let me, let me, let me just give you a picture that, that um, I saw today, actually. Um, not even looking for it. It just came up today. The, 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 the picture of the, the splat. <laughs> um, I, I think oftentimes we think our standing before God is dependent upon how far we can jump. When we get to the Grand Canyon... We can go contest, mano a mano against somebody and be like, all right, we're going to jump the Grand Canyon. Whoever jumps the furthest wins, right? And so I, I may have been training for a long time and I back up and I get ready and I get a good running start and I leap off the side of the Grand Canyon as far as I can and I can make it like, you don't know, 15 feet. But then the other guy jumps and he makes it 14 feet. I am better. I have won. But there's a problem. We're both going to splat. We're both going to splat. It doesn't matter who jumped further. We're both going to splat. We, we, we have equal standing, and that's kind of a, a type of picture of this. In fact, actually, the, the change on that is Bible, the Bible tells us that, that we're not even able to jump because we're dead men, and dead men don't jump. And so we ain't making it very far at all. We're just going to kind of, I don't want to get morbid, but you get the picture, right? Well, it's the same thing here. Our, we are deserving of nothing. Everybody is in the same place. At the, the, there's equal standing at the foot of the cross. And that equal standing, that status that we have with God, comes through, he tells us right here, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That equal standing doesn't come because you read your Bible this week. Your equal standing doesn't come because you've, uh, you have other people who admire your faith or because you always tell the truth or, or any other different way of keeping the score in our religion today. 
This, this equal standing doesn't come because you are something. Your equal standing comes because Jesus is something. Your equal standing comes because Jesus gave you his righteousness in this imputation. It's this, this assigning the credit to your account. So when I go to stand before God, the only reason I am accepted is because Jesus paid the way. I mean, if I, I try to go before the throne of God on my own, I'm toast. And stay, the same goes for Billy Graham or John Piper or C.H. Spurgeon or you. But because you're his adopted child, his righteousness is your standing. You, in Jesus, have equal standing because the one who knew no sin became sin for you. So that in turn you could be his righteousness. So, when you are impressed with how unimpressive you are, just remember, in Jesus, you have an equal standing with every other believer. When you become impressed with how unimpressive you are, you need to remember, you can have real grace and peace today. So, so what, why do you need grace and peace? Well, because, well, we're really good at screwing things up. <laughs> we, we can certainly make a mess of things. I mean, we don't bring a lot of creativity to the table in a lot of areas, but when it comes to the way we sin and, and, and with the flair that we sin, I mean, we, we, bring, we bring some heat. And so we can make a mess of things. And the problem is when we make a mess of things like that, when we fail, when we sin, we begin to feel insignificant. We begin to feel tiny. But even in that moment, God's grace and peace can be multiplied to you. And, and, and let, me, let me explain what I mean by the grace and peace. I don't mean that the, the temporary denial of truth that comes from a, a warm, fuzzy emotionalism that tells you things that you want to hear. Oh, you failed? Just forget about it. You just, you just get back up. You can do it. You're, you're fine. You can, do, you can do anything you want to do. There's no dream you can't accomplish. Anything that you try, you try your hardest, and it's going to happen. That's not true. That's fundamentally false. A stupid illustration. I use this often, but I, I think it bears true here that the reality is uh, if you could do anything you want to do, anything you put your mind to, I promise you, when I started losing my hair, I put my mind to trying to get it to stay. I regularly like, man, it'd be great if I could just like, and pop some hair out, but I can't grow hair. Some of you will never slam dunk a basketball, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you want to, no matter how much you dream. And so that is a fundamental flaw. It is fundamentally false. It is a denial of truth that's just telling you what you want to hear. That doesn't bring grace to the life of the person who's struggling. That doesn't bring peace into the life of the person that struggles. Neither does this, the, the temporary numbness that we achieve because we've run to one of our functional saviors, because we've run to alcoholism, because we've run to workaholism, because we've run to laziness, because we've run to drug addiction, because we've run to uh, relationship after relationship after relationship, just to numb the, the, the pain of feeling insignificant. I mean, that, that's not grace and peace either. What Peter is telling us is there is real grace and peace that can be multiplied to you through... He tells us again, look at verse 2. Multiply to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Knowledge, that, that isn't a mathematical, logical understanding. It's not just talking about uh, familiarity. Oh, I know, I know God. I know Jesus. I know who he is. That, that's not what it's talking about. This is the word for personal, intimate knowledge by experience. He says, you want to know grace and peace? 
and know God. And know Him by experience. Know Him for real. And when you know Him like that, you begin to understand grace. You begin to understand that peace that you can have. And, and here's why you begin to understand it. Because in that relationship, as you are getting to know Him and knowing Him and spending time with Him and opening His Word, which you should be doing every day, even for a few moments, or, or falling on your face before Him and praying, or worshiping as you drive, worshiping as you walk, worshiping as you run, worshiping, worshiping as you uh, shovel the, 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 the driveway, or as you do the dishes, or as you do the laundry, as you're doing all of those different things, as you are learning and knowing Him in this this knowledge of experience and working through this you get to know grace you get to know peace because what you find is in that relationship you are always the one in need it's not him it's always you and what you find is he is faithful to show us favor we don't deserve and the more you know him the more you spend time with him the more you'll depend on them for that grace, for that peace, for that care, when you, you feel like you're scraping the bottom of that barrel. So, friend, you, you, you certainly have a standing that is equal to any other believer. You certainly can have real grace and peace today. And I, I, I want to kind of run through this next one pretty quickly for time's sake and because we're going to deal with it most next week. But, but you, not only that, but in these moments where you are impressed with how unimpressive you are, you need to remember you have already been given everything that you need. Verse 3. He's given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His own goodness. I'll be honest with you, every time I run into an obstacle or a difficulty, there are times where I'm like, nope, nope, I can't do it. I, I, just, I just can't do it. But here he says that you have been given everything required for life and godliness. You have it been given. It has been granted to you, bestowed to you. You have been honored with. The idea is, is almost like a college grant, right? So, so you got loans, you got grants. Loans, you got to pay back. Grants, you don't got to pay back. You really like grants a lot, okay? So, so when you are given a grant not to be repaid, and, and really the most basic requirement to receive a grant for college is need. You need to be poor <laughs> or poorer. And, and that's exactly what happens here. God grants to you what you need because you need it and you don't have it. But what he has granted to you, what he has given to you, is everything that is required. And that word everything required means everything. It's not an 80-20 split where he gives you most of it and you just have to make up the slack. No, he gives you everything required for life and godliness. So, so hear this statement, okay? The ability to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God has been given to you. Let me read that one more time. The ability to live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God has been given to you. So how many of us think that that is actually true? How many of us feel that's actually true? I'll be honest with you, when I fail, I start to think, maybe, maybe it's not true. Maybe I missed something somewhere. Guys, to take God at his word. Peter's telling us that you are able to live this life and be empowered to live this life through knowing him. He says it again, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In case you missed it the first time, this knowledge isn't a mathematical, logical understanding of fam or, or, or a familiarity. Yeah, I know God. No, this, this is the word for personal, intimate knowledge. We'll talk much more about that next week. But I want to close on this one. When you are feeling those feelings of, 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 of unawesomeness, <laughs> when you are impressed with how unimpressive you are, 
Verse 4 tells us that he has given us very great and precious promises. Man, he has made awesome promises to you. The very great and precious. This is called, uh, in the, the Greek, uh, in the grammar, it's called an elative superlative. Elative superlative. In layman's terms, it's a happy exclamation. I grew up in Massachusetts. As a kid, we had a lot of elative superlatives, many of which are probably not appropriate for the preaching time, but this one certainly is. This is wicked awesome. It's wicked awesome. That's what he's talking about. This is, this is just wicked awesome. These promises are so overwhelming. But, but I think, honestly, as humans, we, we think of promises as things of, of actual limited value. We, we think of them um, as, as really not meaning much. So, so the, the person who is quick to say, but I promise, is usually the person you can't believe, okay? The, the one who does that, because um, um, promises aren't reliable until we have it in our hands. I mean, no matter, no matter what you think, until you've actually received the promise, until that promise is actually completely fulfilled, that person can still flake on you, <laughs> and you still don't get what was promised. So until it is actually in your hands, you, you won't, won't believe it. Well, let me tell you this. These right here that are being spoken of in verse 4, he's given us very great and precious promises. These are not human promises. The God of the universe does not lie and he does not fail to keep his word. Coming from him, a promise is a declaration of certainty. Okay, so, so what are some of the things that he has, he has promised for us? Let me just run through a few of them. In First Peter, we're told that he's given us an inheritance that is being guarded for us, kept in heaven for us. It'll never be defiled. It'll never wash away. It'll never fade. It is for us. We're told that the promise of Christ's return is real. That is a promise. We are, we are get, promised an eternity with family. We, we are promised an eventual end to our suffering. We are promised that we have all that we need for life and godliness. We are promised that, that we will have the power to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And when God makes those promises, they're as good as done. This is good as done. We're, we're holding in our hands, when we receive a promise from God, we are holding in our hands a tangible gift from God. Because his promise is so certain. That's why we have an equal standing. That's why we have grace and peace. That's why we have all we need for, for life and godliness. So, so go back to the star thing for just a minute as I, as I close this out, right? There's, I understand where David's coming from as he sits in that dark field and looks up and is just like, whoa. I, there was a time, it was a number of years ago, a long time ago, um, we were in the mountains, my in-laws own uh, property in northern Pennsylvania, and there is no unnatural lighting there. You know what I mean? There's no street lights. There's no, it's just, so when it gets dark, it gets dark unless you turn the lights on in the house. And so we, there, one summer we were there, there was a meteor shower. And so we were seeing shooting stars everywhere. It was amazing. And so it began this, this, uh, this thing that Steph and I used to do where we would go and lay in the, the driveway and look up at the stars or, or up on the dock. Uh, there's a little pond we'd lay in the dock. We'd only stay at the dock for a little while because <laughs> there'd be rustling in the bushes and we were convinced the bears were coming to eat us. So we wouldn't stay there very long. So usually with the driveway. Um, that was free. So anyway, we're on the driveway looking up and, and there's this, this phenomenon that would happen. I, I would lay there and as, as, as you're laying there and it's completely pitch dark out and then the, the dark night sky and all you see is the stars. Suddenly, everything seems so close. You know, everything's like right there. And, and with it being so close, you're able to see more and more of the stars. And, and I remember being overwhelmed with the stars. I remember at one point being overwhelmed with that comment that's made in Psalm 147, that God not only has 
numbered the stars. He has named the stars. So, so forget naming them. Have you ever tried to count the stars? Um, never really works. Never, never really works because there are so many stars. <laughs> so it never, never really works. And yet, and yet, get this. At one point, God told a man to go outside and start counting stars. God told Abraham that each star represented his promise. Each star was a member of his extended genealogy. You go outside, you number those stars, Abraham. That's, that's your genealogy. God was telling that to a man who didn't even have a single son. Abe, you go count them. You go count them, Abe. That, I've got that in store for you. Who, who was Abraham anyway? Who, who was he? I mean, come on. You know who he was? He was the recipient of God's promise. And God does not break promises. And you get to see the rest of Abraham's story play out with Isaac and Jacob and, and just on the line, down the line, down the line, down the line, all the way to you. Now, don't forget of all the stars that Abraham couldn't possibly count, one of them was you. Now, not, not in some weird sci-fi or new age kind of way. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that if we belong to Jesus, then we belong to Abraham and we are heirs according to the promise. So, so as Abram stared at the night sky and tried to count the stars, he was counting everyone who belongs to Christ. So, so yeah, there's times when you look at the stars and, and it should, it should cause you to feel tiny. Sometimes, sometimes you should look at the stars and remember that God's promises don't just belong to the heroes of the faith. Like God's promises have held up for thousands of years and they, they bear up every old man and every young woman who has come to salvation in Jesus Christ. So sometimes, I do, I see the stars and I feel pretty tiny, but sometimes I see the stars and I'm reminded that God always keeps his promises. I might be unimpressive, but God knows me. He's called me by name and he's adopted me into his family. Yeah, I'll take that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the confidence you give us in Christ. I pray for the one who's wrestling uh, with their standing with you right now. I pray that if they don't know Christ as Savior, that they would simply do exactly what it is they need to, which is cry out with their mouth that there is one Savior, and it is Jesus Christ. And if he doesn't rescue them, they die. <laughs> so God, may they cry out to Jesus. Then for those who may wrestle with their impressiveness and feeling insecure and super insignificant. Lord, I, I don't pray that you would inflate their ego. I pray you would protect them from ego. But instead, God, I pray they would understand that their faith is equal to other believers, that their 
as a possibility for grace and peace in those moments where they may fail, that, that you have given them what they need for life and godliness, and that your great and precious promises aren't something we necessarily even have to look forward to. They're something we possess even now because it is done in your mind. So, Lord, would you encourage their hearts? Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your care for us. We commit our lives and our humble obedient response to you in these moments. Friends, in Christ's name I pray. Amen.